This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. to the Courage Cast. I'm your host, Eric Nordoff, and I am sitting here in Man Alive Studios with the one and only Robin Wolliver. Welcome to the mm. podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I'm glad to be here. We are simultaneously making a video of this as well, so pretty cool. Maybe we can get a copy of this at some point mm-hmm. and show it to our courageous community, but I have been wanting to have you on this podcast for a really, really long time because I think you have an amazing story. You are someone who's persevered out of really from, you came from nothing as far as wealth or anything like that. And now very isolated, very Mm -hmm. isolated. And what has happened and what has transpired, um, was rooted in several generations before you. And I want to talk about all of that, Mm -hmm. but let's talk about right now, Mm -hmm. uh, where is Robin Wolliver and the Wolliver family? And uh, (laughs) tell me a little bit about you currently, what you're all involved in now. Well, uh, our family works together. So my husband and I have seven children. Uh, One adopted, our little girl Zoe, but our biological children, the older six, and their father and me are all involved in music. And we recently opened a new audio video live streaming studio called Man Alive Studios. And um, we're, we have many plans for shows mm-hmm. that we'll be producing out of there. And then we're also heavy into arts education. Mm-hmm. So we are opening a new conservatory that's literally kitty corner across the road from our studio mm-hmm. and where we will be augmenting what mm-hmm. is already in action, and that is the Conservatory of Annie Moses. Yeah. So Annie Moses mm-hmm. Band, we haven't even said that. I didn't really introduce yes, you that well. Yes. You're the founder of the Annie yes. Moses Band. Yes. So our family tours together mm-hmm. in music, and we've been doing that for the past 15 years. So as you can imagine, the six children went from being very young, and now they're mature and having children of their own. And so we're pivoting into a, a bigger sphere mm-hmm. of influence in the arts. Yeah. And you and I, well, I've, I've been involved in working with the Annie Moses Band since 2000, end of 2005, beginning of 2006, mm-hmm. yeah. when I was representing you internationally. Yes. And I had you at my first showcase. You were the last act and definitely the standing ovation of the whole show. And <laughs> that, that was, was fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was really fun. Have all the, the Dutch people, you know. <laughs> Standing and yes. people from all around the world, yes. Asians. It's, uh, it's it was a it was a great moment. It was a highlight for me personally. Mm-hmm. And um, then I, we went on to work a little bit closer, maybe a little bit in management together. Uh-huh. Um, yes. And then you went on to to do some other things. Started working with had some PBS specials. Right. That you've uh-huh. done Christmas yeah, specials. Had signed some contracts and done some very exciting things, mm-hmm. but. Uh, my daughter Gretchen, who is a 
quite the studier came in to my bedroom yesterday and said, the verse for us today is, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Mm -hmm. And so that's where we are right now. Yeah. Um, Well, before we get into all the new things that you're involved in, I want to talk about the history mm -hmm. and where the name Annie Moses came from and, and just some of your background, because you have a book. It's called Song of Annie Moses, A Musical Quest, A Mother's Gift. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a story. There's always a great story. And you're a really good storyteller. So tell well, me a little bit you. about your background and how this all kind of was birthed. Well, Annie Moses uh, was my mother's mother. So she was my grandmother. I never got to meet her. Uh, she died at 49 of cancer and lived a very impoverished life. Um, when we be decided as a family to start a band, we began to probe the stories of our lives to say, well, how did becoming a band really start? You know, because every generation builds upon the last. And that took us to Annie Moses. There were many musical influences, but Annie Moses um, and did everything she could to invest in my mother. Um, and then my mother in turn invested in me. So four generations in the making, we went from... Uh, the Cotton Patch, where Annie Moses picked cotton uh, during the Depression in Texas, to the Concert Hall four generations later, where my children have played in halls like the Grand Ole Opry House or Carnegie Hall. Um, so tracing that legacy from Annie Moses in the Cotton Patch in poverty with no artistic voice available to her, and how every generation built on the last, uh, tracing that was part of the job of the Annie Moses Band in mm. the making of the band. Why do you feel that tracking back the generations and speaking about the past, mm -hmm. how does that, how does, what does that instill in your kids? What did that instill in your kids? Well, connecting the dots. Mm -hmm. um, if, a, if a child does not understand um, the depth of their roots, if they, whether they're good, bad, or ugly, you know, you go, you go in and you say, this was the reality. But out of that, how did God build a new horizon for you? Because God uses all of that to change the landscape of our lives. Mm -hmm. So it was a quest for me as a mom to be able to give my children um, a context for who they are, why they play their music, and who is sacrificed in order for them to have that skill. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sacrifice mm -hmm. that goes into the grooming of a young artist and a musician. Yeah. So when you had Annie, mm -hmm. how soon did you know that you wanted to nurture in her such a strong uh, sense of faith, family, and, and the fine arts? Mm -hmm. Well, I had... I knew before I even had her that I would that that would be a big part of our lives, but um, mostly because my mother was so tenacious about that. She married a missionary. My dad was a, a man who had a great footprint in uh, this sort of inner Appalachian setting of the Kaimishi Mountains of southeastern Oklahoma. So we were very sequestered and tucked away from society, and yet my mother 
really insisted that we were going to find a piano teacher. And my dad was a bush pilot, so my sisters and I sang all around Kansas and Ohio and all these little corn patch churches. We sang kind of chipmunk Andrew's sisters trios. and But that was where the grooming began. Uh, and then when I went to college, I had this divine appointment with the Lord. As an 18-year-old freshman, I was sitting in music survey class, and uh, the concert master of the Oklahoma City Symphony came in with a little troupe of Suzuki violinists. And this was when Suzuki violin had just entered the United States, and he was one of the first uh, to uh, open a studio. And so in came, oh, I don't know, four or five children with their little tiny violins and one little bitty Asian girl she was so petite and cute and I think she played go tell Aunt Rhody and I sat there and watched that uh, Bill and I both we were both in that classroom but not, uh, not married yet. or dating or anything mm-hmm. we were just friends but I watched that little Asian girl and and I thought that is the cutest thing I've ever seen and God spoke to me and he said when you have a little girl she should do that. Mm. And I heard that word so vividly that I literally sat back in my desk and sort of mauled in my mind that I had heard it. And I tucked that away for the day. And when mm. Annie was born, uh, we started her at four years old on yeah, violin. I'm four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, uh, so you met Bill in that class? Yes. In that classroom? So, well, I met Bill at Oklahoma City University, where we were both music students. Okay. And so it wasn't in that class per se that I met him. I, I met him because he was, uh, he had the most beautiful head of red hair. And it was just gorgeous hair with big streaks of gold in it. And I was going into the music building, and he was coming out. And it was August. The sun was shining down on that gold in his hair. And I literally stopped on the steps going up into the music building and watched him go past me out into the parking lot. And then I stopped and said, hey, you sure do have pretty hair. And that was the beginning. <laughs> Five years later, we would be married. <laughs> I bet he was so shy, didn't know what to say back. Oh, I just thought he was the nicest man, and he still is. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he is such a nice. He's ju- nice he's man. very humble spirit. He and, is. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the secret of our success. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. You know, and so you you and he also wrote. You you write together still today. Yes, but you yes. wrote some songs that other people might know. Yes. In particular, one that I know of. Mm-hmm. So you want to share yeah. about that, well, Sandy Patty? Yeah. Uh, when when Bill and I got married, he began to work for Word Incorporated, which is a Christian music publisher and publisher of books and many things. But uh, so we were uh, we wrote a song that the artist Sandy Patty recorded that topped the charts for quite some time, called "Make His Praise Glorious," mm-hmm. and we've always been amused at how. That song became the mantra of our whole family's life and the call that God had given us. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's amusing, but yet it's also everything is interwoven. Yes. And it's, it's what I love about when I listen to you talk and the family talk is how centered you are and how certain you are about your purpose. Yes. Uh-huh. And what you're pursuing. Yes. Uh, and how it's evolved over the years, because mm-hmm. that was, you know, in the mid to late 80s when mm-hmm. that song was mm-hmm. popular. Yes. Uh-huh. And you were just raising your daughter 
at yes. that point, and then mm-hmm. Alex came later. So Annie mm-hmm. was first, and mm-hmm. then Alex came. Mm-hmm. Was this all still in Waco, Texas? Yes, it was in Waco. The song actually moved us to Nashville okay. because we became signed writers for Word at that point. And mm-hmm. so we moved to Nashville and entered the Nashville songwriting scene, mostly in the Christian market. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, so real quick, tell me one story. Your, your dad, I didn't want to pass this by, but your dad was a bush pilot. What yes. is a bush pilot? Oh, he just could land on a dime. Like when we went to, uh, we'd go to little corn patch churches in Kansas. He'd land on the highway and buzz through. He, he, he used a plane almost like a motorcycle. Um, (laughs) and he, but in the mountains, Mm -hmm. he could land where nobody could. Uh, what is, what his instructor called a a controlled crash. And he, um, but he would fly people that were hurt out to hospitals. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was a missionary and a pilot. Mm -hmm. He was also a crack shot. He was a horseman. Um, He was a deputy sheriff in the area. Um, He was very colorful. I'm Mm -hmm. writing a book about him. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be really a fun read. It sounds like somebody I would want to see in a movie. Yes, yes. It would be really, really interesting. Yeah, that's really true. Mm -hmm. And he loved music. And so when my mother, uh, you know, in all of her insisting that that we would study music, that was not easy for them financially or um, with just driving out of the mountains itself. It was kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, yeah. trying to trek out to a town to find a piano teacher. So um, my dad was a good man. Okay, so... So you begin to have children, and um, tell me about the nurturing of Annie. So Annie started, you knew she was going to take violin. Yes. So tell me what that was like as a, as a mother, because there's a great bit of learning and a lot of teaching that you can do mm-hmm. to prospective mothers in your, that are in your shoes, that, right. that feel a calling of God to, to nurture right. artistic excellence in their children. Yeah. So... I know. What was that like? Yeah, I um I always say Annie teaching her to play the violin was was throwing a duck on water because it was easy. She could she could match pitch even before that. She just kind of had the knack. So it was pretty easy. However, I always say my second born Alex was more like drowning a duck in water. <laughs> it was just horrible trying, but now he's an incredible player. Yeah. And um, as we went down the line, you know, people always say, did you force your children to study music? No, I tried to hold them at bay mm. because uh, the younger ones would watch the older ones and say, when do I get my instrument? And mm. I got up every morning and practiced really uh, long hours with them, and which was a challenge because I was learning the instrument too. I I was a pianist and a vocalist. I didn't uh, know how to play the violin, so it became a actually a, a kind of a love language for us. You know, there's a lot to be shared in music. Music actually bonds people. Chemically, it puts oxytocin into our bloodstream. It gives us a sense of purpose and how we fit together. Uh, I think it's why Christendom has at its core music that we're told to sing and sing together mm. and in harmony. And that aspect of music came to play as I was teaching my children to play. So, 
you say in here in the book, um, you have sort of a question and answer, uh-huh. parent and counselor, which right. I really like it um, mm-hmm. because it's not really very, um, it's not like a parent and your answer. It's a counselor's answer. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Did you do that in, for any particular reason? That you said parent and counselor. Well, I think I was thinking of it as the Holy Spirit, Mm. the counselor, Mm -hmm. um, because uh, the arts are a spiritual entity. And that's why the enemy occupies the market share of that. Uh, You know, if you think of Satan as the prince of the power of the air and how the words, the music goes out into the air, it fills the air. And... When God loses market share, when we don't praise him, when we don't sing to him, then his throne sort of vanishes. And that's the the Psalms tell us that when they say God, it occupies the praises of his people, Israel. And that word that he some translations say he is enthroned in the praises of his people. Mm -hmm. And the word for that means he sits Mm -hmm. in our praises. Um, so it's it's the idea of the chair, you know, that we are building a place for God to be mm-hmm. in our society when we praise him through music. Mm-hmm. And that music stirs deeper than just words. And music imprints our mind more readily and with more longevity than wor- just words. Yeah. And so that whole, that was a plan of God for us uh, imprinting the minds of every generation with his glory and his praise. Mm. Um, and now we have sort of relegated, you know, Christian music is just a sliver of the market. And then you have a few Christians that are engaged in the larger scene of music. But by far, you can watch the the award shows and see, you know, there's a whole lot of filth yeah. in the arts. Yeah, And they're the most powerful medium available to us. Mm-hmm. So I... I really bemoan that because the this new generation is got those little white earbuds in and they are feasting on garbage. Mm-hmm. And parents don't even really know what their children are listening to. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it affects your mind. It affects how you perceive the world, how you look at people, how you look at God. Mm-hmm. And that aspect of the arts is something that Christians have sort of abandoned the call, the mission of the arts. Mm. So for me, I didn't understand that when I started with Annie. I just thought I had a word from God and I was (laughs) going to follow that. But as I began to that process and that journey, then pretty soon I began to see, hey, this goes way deeper. Yeah. Um, So that's why, Eric, now we have our conservatory and our curriculums and the Man Alive studio and that we're putting together the shows that we are because we want to populate the world of the arts with godly excellence. That is young people that are as rooted in the truth of God and that that depth of the truth of God as they are excellent in their artistic display of him. Because when you have the depth and the height, then they don't topple in arrogance and idolizing themselves, believing their own hype. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's what I call a two legged stance. You have to have both of those components, or the artist 
loses his equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So you and you see it all the time. People, mm-hmm. you know, people drowning in bathtubs and mm-hmm. drowning and drowning in drugs, and they just they lose who they are before God. Yeah, so. yeah. Wow. Um, the first question here is, how do I nurture artistic success in my child? And I love your answer because it has nothing to do with what you, what most people would think is. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to lay a, a violin next to them every night and <laughs> put a bow in their hand, and they're they're going to uh-huh. you know grow up to be. That's not what you say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You talk about nurturing their their love for God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yes, because God builds within you a purpose. You you begin to be a person of purpose, and the purpose is designated from the foundation of the world just for you. Mm. And so as you seek God and you thirst after him, he begins to fill that. And then that well gets full. The arts are the toolbox with which you can display what he's putting inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not so many times in the artistic world, you know, you've got the talent and the groomers and they sort of from the outside superimpose upon the artist who they'll be, how they'll look, what they'll say in their music. And that was not what we were going for. We were going for hearts that were full to overflowing with the truth and love of God. And then the arts just become the tools that you can capture that with and give it to others, Mm -hmm. occupy Mm -hmm. the air with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that way, God sits enthroned. Absolutely. I love it. And you also talk about, uh, about beginning and by um, teaching them, getting them into the practice of prayer. Yes. As soon as they can speak. Why is prayer so important? Prayer is vital. If you do not pray, you will never know God like God wants you to know him. Mm -hmm. And so we began to pray as a family in an extended way together. And prayer, I became so enamored with prayer and the study of prayer because I was aware that prayer was building relationship with God and there was a supernatural power in that. But then I began to see how prayer is the single greatest language arts development program in the world. Because in order to pray and to pray effectively, you have to know things. You know, the scripture says, pray first of all for kings and princes and those in authority that you might live a quiet life. Well, you have to know who is the king. Who is the authority? What is happening in the nations of the world that I need to pray for? The the call to prayer develops a watcher. You have to know what to pray for. So you have to know my neighbor is sick or the lady down the road needs help. It, in that way, you become a watcher. Mm-hmm. And, this, and then in order to carry those requests that you have observed to God, you have to be able to coin the words of that in light of scripture Mm -hmm. and present them to the throne of God. And that's a word processing uh, exercise, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
as we joined together for the for the prayers and everybody prayed out loud it got to where our prayers were longer and longer we had lists of things and you want the prayers to begin with extolling god and his power and and the fact that you are submitted to him and that aspect uh, always recalibrates your your thinking according to the realities of his existence mm-hmm. and so our prayers became um, central to our family, central to then each individual, the way we related. It was a time of confession and repentance. It was a time of calling out things that weren't working right and that needed to be adjusted. It, it was a time of honesty. It was a time of laughter. It, uh, I always took into the prayer time a um, an approach that my children would be coddled in prayer so the babies got to nurse and I would cuddle them tight and I would wrap the wrap little ones in blankets and you know we I would hold them in my lap a lot of times and they would all stand at my knees what <laughs> it's my turn now <laughs> and it was really funny because like my son Jeremiah my sixth born um he was huge when he quit wanting to sit in my lap when we prayed. It was really true. I would say, Jeremiah, I should sit in your lap. <laughs> because, you know, just playing with hair and praying to God and the sense of comfort in that, mm-hmm. you know, touch mm-hmm. and eye contact and interaction. If every family would adopt that, they will find their family life transformed. Mm. If husbands and wives would adopt that, divorce will plummet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a bedrock of love and nurturing and relationship, both horizontally and vertically. How did you keep, uh, I'm not even thinking order, but how did you keep uh, the family dynamic from the kids cutting each other down, or uh, how would you deal with um, when some of the kids just wanted to kind of act out their frustrations mm-hmm. with each other? And mm-hmm. I never see that. I'm around you guys now a lot, mm-hmm. and I don't see you. There's such a degree of respect. Every single, all eight of you, or, or nine of you, have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. You listen to each other. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's there's that, and I. That's not easily attained. So what yeah. would you say is the, the root of that? Where did that start? What's the origin of, of the way that you are with one another? Uh, I think it starts with the husband and wife, mom and dad, being in lockstep and, treat, and setting the pace for that. Um, but, you know, beyond that, and this may sound weird in this conversation on the arts, but really the arts begin at the breast. Mm. And, um, you know, we talk about El Shaddai, God Almighty. But the word Shaddai comes from the root Shad, and it means literally a breast Mm -hmm. or a nipple. Mm -hmm. uh, If you look that word up in the scriptures, Mm -hmm. you will see how uh, in the earliest uses of it, it is always in the context of fertility Mm -hmm. that that is used. And it is as if God is our very source, our milk of life. Mm -hmm. He wants to hold us and we suckle from him. And um, 
the that aspect of God has to be embraced. You know, that God is there for you to draw the milk of life from him. Mm-hmm. And then to consider a mother's milk mm-hmm. and how does that mirror what God has offered us. And when you stop and think that humanity is the one creation of God that can make eye contact while suckling its young. Mm. So animals cannot do that. But when oxytocin is exchanged in the milk, it's released in both the mother and the child, and it is a huge, huge impact (laughs) on both of them. But as the baby nurses, he begins to look into his mother's eyes. The right side of the brain uh, stays more dormant. uh, uh, actually, excuse me, the right side of the brain accelerates in its development. The left side of the brain, not so fast. Mm-hmm. But what the baby is learning at that moment, through the help of this wonderful chemical God gave us, the baby is learning to read the signs of its mother. So he's learning, Mama's a little bit mad at me. I just bit her. Mama, you know, they're, Mama's happy. Mama's smiling. It is the most... Um, it is the most impacting kind of communication that we have, body language, in reading the face of someone else. And so God started that process at the breast. When a child is about 18 months or two years old, the left side of the brain surges. And at that point, the child begins to, put, to explode the code, so to speak. They learn to speak the words and at a startling rate. That a child at the age of three has a bigger brain than it will ever have again, and um, and it has a, a child at that age. Get this has a thousand trillion synapses in the brain, so they literally learn seven new words a day wow. with no formal teaching. Mm-hmm. So how does that apply to music? When a child is at its mother's breast and this bonding is going on and mama's singing to me and we're playing music and we're dancing and this becomes this this bond of mother-child. And then when they're three years old, you can begin to kind of put some order to that. Mm -hmm. And at four, like I was with Annie, here's your instrument. Mm -hmm. And so this song has been building all through the baby's childhood. It's not just me hoping you're going to be a movie star, American Idol winner, or you're going to be rich and famous. This is about relating to people. It's about love. So whenever you begin uh, with the arts in, in your child, a mother or a father, someone occupying that realm of nurturing is essential. It's mm-hmm. the bedrock laid. Mm-hmm. So, and because mothers got the goods, <laughs> you know, I, I remember one time Annie was crying in the middle of the night, and I hit Bill and said, "Go get her." <laughs> and he he turned over and said, "Oh, she's gonna want a nurse." And I said, "Well, you do it." And he said, <laughs> "He said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." <laughs> can I claim that? <laughs> So I laughed and got up out of bed because he cannot. (laughs) Right. And even if a daddy stays home during those years, he does not stay home like a mama stays home. Mm -hmm. And so having a mother wear the robes of that singular moment that will never come to her again Mm -hmm. is 
paramount in not just the artistic development of a child, but in the spiritual nurturing of a child. Mm -hmm. Some people in the culture today would say women should have the same exact amount of rights as men and they can work and they should be able to do all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your view on that today? (laughs) Oh, how much time do you have? Uh, well, as much time <laughs> well, as you want. Well, uh, in short terms, I could talk about this for hours and hours as far as studying Genesis 1 through 3 and studying the fact that we are on a huge demographic crisis right now yeah. uh, with, with whole nations imploding, Japan, Russia, Greece, Italy, just imploding demographics, the United States has within the last few years gone into an upside-down family tree scenario. And it's a very dangerous thing when a nation does that. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Uh, You look in the Bible uh, where um, God scolds the people of Ephraim and says, "I'm I'm going to take away the glory of your nation. And how does he does how does he do that? He says, "There's no more birth. You're going to have uh, breasts that are dry and wombs that will miscarry." So it's obvious from that very difficult scripture. I, you know, I always say that scripture with a little bit of chagrin, but it's very obvious from that that God considers children the glory of a nation. And it's really true. Children are the bright light. They are the future. Uh, When you begin to get old and you don't have any, you feel the cold wind. So having having children be central in that way is is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And I've forgotten your question. Well, you you homeschooled all your kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You definitely took a, a, a route that... Most people don't go, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. although the amount of people homeschooling. Now. Oh, yes, I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember now because you were talking about roles of men and women. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And well, OK, so in Genesis one and Genesis two, uh, you have uh, in Genesis one, you have Elohim uh, describing the creation of the of the earth, heavens and the earth. In Genesis two, you have the Lord uh, or you have Yahweh. Yahweh is the name used. So one is God and one is Jesus, mm-hmm. the Father and the Son. And in both of those, they give different accounts of the same event. And I won't go into those details, but we all know the story, mm-hmm. you know, how Eve took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and um, then gave it to her husband. And so there you have it. You know, mm-hmm. we, were, we were under the curse at that point. Um, so God, in making man, had created a divine design, and the divine design was the family. He had created man. He had man go through the animals, and there was nothing there for man. So he caused a sleep to come on Adam, and he extracted woman from man, and the Adam, the Adam, became Adam. And then later on, the, the woman was named. In uh, Genesis 2 terms, that's the Ish and the Eshah. Mm-hmm. is who Adam and Eve were. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, after creating woman, he brought the woman to the man. And the Hebrew word for that is bull. And it literally means that God, Eve's father, she wasn't called Eve at that moment, but he literally brought her like a wedding. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the first wedding. And, and Adam says those famous words, you're flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. We are one. So he knew that he literally had the other part of him mm-hmm. to, to unite as one. And that's where we get the sacrament of marriage. Mm-hmm. So it was as old as Genesis 2. Right after that, God gives man and woman a blessing, two blessings. He gives them food. It says whose seed is in itself. I'm going to give you these things for food and go be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So you had procreation and blessed food. Well, when the enemy came into the garden to tempt Eve, what did he hit? He comes up and, of course, he says, well, you're going to be like God. And so she was flattered by that and she took the fruit. And it says in Genesis where, that she saw, saw it, that it was good for food. Mm. And she took it and ate and gave to her husband and he ate. And then they covered themselves. Mm-hmm. So what had been hit by the enemy? Food and Procreation, sexuality. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they were ashamed. Yeah. So when Jesus came into the garden, he said, who told you you were naked? Mm. And so the story was out. And here we have the, one of the, at this moment, one of the most incredible lines Jesus ever says in the Bible. Because you have done this. That line You know, there's a colon right there. Because you have done this, what? Mm -hmm. He curses the serpent. He says, you're going to eat dust, walk, crawl on your belly all the days of your life. And then he prophesies about the other woman. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, another woman, between your seed and her seed, which was obviously Jesus. And he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Mm. So that was where the salvation message was triggered. Mm. And so what has happened? Because you've done this, he cursed the serpent. He set in place the the story of salvation, triggered that. Then he turns to the woman. Because you have done this, I'm going to give you pain in childbirth. And and that word can be translated many ways. Sometimes it's translated hard work or toil. Um, that your days are going to be lived for your husband. Then he curses the ground for the sake of man. You're going to bear thorns and thistles. And then after he curses the ground, he turns to the man and says, I curse the ground for your sake because you are, by the sweat of your brow, going to conquer the earth and the thorns and the thistles in order to provide for the woman and the child. Mm. This was God taking this new refined design that had been, his original had been obliterated because of sin. His two blessings had been obliterated. And now he has set up a new order. Mm. And that order, you can kick against it. You can, you can step outside of it, mm-hmm. vacate it, curse it, which is what our society does. Mm-hmm. But the, the truth of the matter is, when we vacate it, when we curse it, when we look down on it, when mama goes out and insists on being the one, the breadwinner, the home collapses. And when the home collapses, the infrastructure of the family collapses. And the dissemination of love and relationship mm-hmm. cannot 
last. Mm -hmm. So societies become lonely, sick, depressing places. Mm -hmm. And you look at ours. That's what we're seeing now. That is what we are. Yeah. So by moms realizing this, this role that they have and how important the role is, that they are the ones with the breasts. They are the ones that have this wonderful milk to give their baby. They are the ones that will, will become a fruitful vine that spreads through the neighborhood, that offers shelter to those who are ill or untimely uh, die or that kind of thing. Then the home becomes this wonderful place of faith. Mm-hmm. It's like the parable of the mustard seed. You know, when mm-hmm. mustard seed is small, it gives birth to a big tree and many birds come and nest therein. Yeah. And I've seen that in our own family. Yeah, so. yeah, I have too. Um, the, the selflessness of it, though, too, and the sacrifice, because it mm-hmm. was, it's a lot of sacrifice mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Did you have to, did you have to spend some time in prayer sometimes just, kind of laying some things down that you might have had for your own self? You know, it wasn't too hard. Having my first baby was hard because I felt like, well, I'm giving up an opportunity to be a businesswoman. I had a degree in vocal performance, and I was a writer, and I liked to do, you know, I had done some good things by that point. But uh, as I began to nurture my children, I kind of went through a time of struggle, yes, where I was saying, you know, what do I do with these things? Sandy Patty had cut Make His Praise Glorious, and that had been a big song. And the next time she was looking for songs, we went into writing mode, and it's very frustrating. And I was, uh, we'd gone camping out at Land Between the Lakes, and uh, they, they have a working farm out there that um, said, um, where you can go see how a farm would have been run in the 1800s. And so I was uh, walking around watching people. Uh, behave like they were a century earlier, Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. um, But I was talking to God, walking out in the pasture (laughs) Mm -hmm. around the sheep and the goats. And and I said, God, I just, this stress I live under, and I just can't take it. You have got to speak to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of, I thought of that scripture, come boldly before the throne of grace. So I was coming boldly. Mm -hmm. And I went around the corner of the barn and there was a man there working on a long piece of wood. He was carving on it. And, mm-hmm. and he was sitting on, I don't know, something, a uh, barrel or something. But anyway, he was sitting there dressed like a kind of dressed like Paul Ingalls, you know. And he called me into conversation. And he said, what I'm making here is a yoke. And so I admired his yoke all this time, you know, weary with this conversation I was having with God. And he said, what most people don't know is that a yoke is made uh, specifically tailor-made to fit the neck of the ox. Mm. And he said, if it doesn't exactly fit the neck of the ox, it will rub a sore on the ox's neck and the ox won't pull into the yoke. Because it hurts, mm. and he won't pull his load. Well, boy, that was me. He said, um, I'm making this yoke for this that young team of oxen right there. And I turned around, and I, there they were at their trough feeding, and it was two very young <laughs> ox, uh, a team of oxen. And he said, they're very young. 
So as they grow, I'll have to change the yoke for new seasons because you can't put yesterday's yoke on today's ox. (laughs) And oh, when he said that, it just flooded me. I I literally wondered if he was an angel because I realized I had one season. I just had one season in my life to capture this magical time called childhood Mm -hmm. and to instill in my children the skill and the wisdom that they needed to be servants of the living God all the days of their life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to be powerful spokespeople for his kingdom. Yeah. I had one season and that meant I had to put the old yoke off and take up the robes of today. And I did that. I went home, I reorganized, I laid things aside And I've always been a very type A woman. I ran my house like many people would run uh, their business or a factory, (laughs) but it it paid off well. I ran it with a lot of love. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something a mother can do that a father sometimes can't do, Mm -hmm. isn't gifted to do or Mm -hmm. or called to do. Right. So so now we have, uh, we're going to come, we're leading now to the the foundation. Mm-hmm. And kind of the greater purpose mm-hmm. of the legacy that you you hope to lead. Mm-hmm. You have a conservatory. Yes. You have a summer festival. Yes. You invest a lot of time. I mean, you have the Andy Moses Band, a very successful touring band, mm-hmm. a great example of uh, of the the season that mm-hmm. you surrendered yourself to and mm-hmm. that you were yoked up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you have all of this, and mm-hmm. there's even more to steward. Uh-huh. There's even greater things, greater mm-hmm. responsibilities now. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the foundation's purpose, how it got its start, and what mm-hmm. you, where, where you're going. Well, my husband and I, in the, in the musical journey of our family, had moved to the New York area so our children could attend the Juilliard School and study their strings there. And um, we were there three years, and then we began to say, you know, what, what is the kingdom purpose for this? So we began to tour and we loved that, um, and and it just sort of kept going and kept building. And as we went on the road, Annie was only 17, and Alex was 14, Benjamin was 12, and so they were very young, but they were highly skilled. And people would watch, and then afterwards, parents had questions, how did you do this? And we got one letter that I thought was funny because this dad uh, he wrote and he said, on our way home, I suggested that we all take up instrument, instruments and learn and become a family band. And he said, to my dismay, they all heartily agreed. <laughs> they heartily agreed. They were, his family was thrilled about it. Uh, but we had these parents coming and saying uh, mostly tales of woe or, or just uh, not knowing how to navigate the world of the arts or the artistic development of their children. A lot of them carry these preconceived notions, can't turn on the radio, can't carry a tune in a bucket, which is which that those people are the ones that need to study the arts the most. Mm-hmm. They would awaken all sorts of, of uh, intelligence mm-hmm. within themselves mm-hmm. if they would. Mm-hmm. And so we began to see how much uh, need there was for someone to speak into this area. And then we began to think uh, that parents weren't really so impressed with the music as they were the way our family worked together. Mm -hmm. 
And they begin to say, how did you groom this kind of, you know, the, the kids liking each other? And it's obvious you love each other. And really, Eric, there are just... There are families out there where there isn't their love is just has waxed cold, and that is one of the signs of the of the end times. You know, love waxes cold, and so we begin to meditate on that. You know, to say, well, what is it? You know, what did we do? And um, the first year that we were out touring, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina. And a lady came up and said, would you be a special guest at a summer arts camp? And we said, okay. And it was kind of a learning experience. But by the second year, we'd really got our act together and how to do that. And it was very, very successful. And thus began the Fine Arts Summer Academy. We're now embarking on, I think, our 17th year of that will be this this summer in July in the greater Nashville area. And... Um, now we we put on multiple shows. Uh, we write for the students that come, and we tailor make the music for them. So if we have jugglers, they will be in it. <laughs> if we have, uh, we are, we really do scrub down. You know what's coming, and how do we best uh, showcase it? So it's a great experience for everyone. But in this process of doing. Um, Doing the what we called FOSA, and we've now rebranded as the the Annie Moses Summer Music Festival. And, and in doing the festival, uh, parents begin to say, "Will you teach us?" And thus began the conservatory. And then we began to say, "Well, we began to see how families couldn't really work together very well, and they weren't very um, good at achieving success." Uh, in the study of their children. And so we begin to say, how can we codify a system? Um, and how can we speak to the deficiencies, you know, to help uh, bring this uh, successful experience in artistic development? And so we began the foundation, mm-hmm. the foundation uh, of Annie Moses Foundation. And um, that has been just the most fulfilling side of what we do because, as I said earlier, the airwaves are filled with filth. And if Christian families would begin to nurture their children, to groom artistic voices in their children, to marinate their children in the truth of God and in prayer, then they, those children go out and God will light that fire and he will lead them forward. Well, when we began to travel as a family and we uh, began to tour, then we had a lot of parents that would come ask us, how did we cultivate such high skill musically in such young kids? And we saw very quickly that parents were grappling for uh, ways of grooming their children and creating the bonds that allowed uh, such a flow of love and the artistic voices that companion that to happen. So we began to speak to that when we were in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, someone asked us to do a summer camp, and um, 
as artists in residence. So we came in and did that, and that began the Fine Arts Summer Festival, which uh, ha- has happened for 15 years. Um, and then this year we've rebranded it as the Annie Moses Summer Music Festival. So young people from all over the United States and even across the ocean come to Nashville, and we uh, tailor make shows for those young people. The whole purpose of it is to give young people a an experience of what it feels like to rub shoulders with people who really play skillfully and make his praise glorious mm-hmm. as the song we wrote bids us to do mm-hmm. um, I've often told my kids the Bible doesn't say to sing skillfully so just but every Christian is commanded to sing. In fact, just yesterday I was reading, I will sing to the Lord all the days of my life. Even when you're old, Mm -hmm. you should sing to the Lord. So we all sing and we play. And parents want to know, how do I do that in my family? So um, the Fine Arts Summer Academy was born. And then from the academy, Families would come and say, do you teach? So little by little, we got into teaching. And now we have, we're have we codifying a curriculum to, to help parents. But more than anything, we see how much the family today needs healing and those lines of love between mother and father, between children and parents, between brothers and sisters. Um, those lines need healing. They need to be strengthened as to their importance and value and how that was the very first infrastructure God built. And it was the the purpose of it was for the dissemination of love. When those lines fragment, then love waxes cold. So for our family, artistic grooming was not just practicing your fiddle. Artistic grooming was relationship to God relationship to one another, good discipline in learning this voice so that I can tout the love I have learned in these relationships. Beautiful. So beautiful. Um, and so with the foundation mm-hmm. that you've, you've launched and mm-hmm. have been active in for mm-hmm. a while, mm-hmm. what is the vision of what you see it becoming? Right. Well, the, the, the foundation grew out of the conservatory, the summer music festival, and the need that we saw for um, families to be able to raise up and send their children out into the world of the arts as ambassadors for God. Um, and so we thought um, this is a divine call. The arts, we always vie the arts against sports. And that's very unfortunate because I love sports too. But because you play football doesn't mean you don't play the guitar or you don't sing to the Lord. Um, That comes from schools who must decide where they're going to put their funds. And so they generally opt for sports. And uh, because the greater majority is into that, and then they'll have a marching band program that's pretty good. Um, but beyond that, the the arts are on a demise. Um, and so we saw that need, and then we see the filth of what is in the arts and how the arts uh, serve the enemy. 
um, and implant deceptions and darkness in the minds of young people and old people even. And so we began to say, well, how do we counter that? And that's what the, found, the Animosis Foundation is all about. Um, first of all, it's about building strong families and equipping them with the tools to be able to groom their children artistically. So there's that base. But it's also about making pastors and teachers and music ministers aware of how important it is that we occupy the world of the arts in the airwaves. The airwaves. It's a very real entity. And that we occupy those for the glory of God. That he is high and lifted up. that we occupy the airwaves for the glory of God, that he is high and lifted up. Um, Because when he's high and lifted up, he'll draw people to him. But if we don't praise him, if we don't lift him up, then he loses market share. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. If, If you see a major artist out there that is going through, um, the release of an album or something. What do they do? They hire marketing and PR and they put their name on the billboard and they make sure their song gets out there. That it's, it's just 101 uh, that, and yet the living God who created us gets buried. If we do not use our mouths and use our voices and use the arts to express who he is and praise who he is. One of the other little tidbits, too, on this. The church is obsessed with worship. We're going to get together and sing songs of worship. If you do a Bible study, I I did, and I was startled by this fact. You don't find songs of worship. Okay. You don't find song. A song service is not worship Mm. unless the heart of the singer is worshiping. And that, that worship is 24-7, and it is spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And truth. What you find in the Bible are songs of praise, songs of joy, and songs of thanksgiving. And the reason that I point that out is because when people think, oh, I've got to sing a song in order to worship, No, you're singing a song of praise. It's like Deborah or Miriam or the song of Moses. What you are doing is you're looking around your life for the thing that God is doing in your life. And then you put words to that Mm -hmm. so that your song is a testimony praising God and Mm -hmm. what he's doing. Mm -hmm. When we don't do that, God has no marketing and PR. (laughs) It is the voice of evangelism. Mm -hmm. So... In the Annie Moses Foundation, that that is it's that simple. Mm-hmm. How many highly skilled young voices can we launch into the world of the arts that become the gatekeepers of the Broadway theaters and the stages that can they're not gonna make everything a church service, but they are going to look through the lens of God. And how God sees the world and say, what can I offer up to the masses as they come mm-hmm. that would benefit love and relationship 
and goodwill in society. You're raising up kids that are becoming men and women who carry the kingdom yes. into this world. And carry it with fluency and skill that's so compelling that this became my mantra for, for I want my children to play and they're playing to be so compelling that even though people know they're going to talk about God, but I'm going to go anyway because it's really good. <laughs> that's what it, and it's, it happens. Yeah, sure. It, so, it, it, music crosses those boundaries and does. is able to cross from, they will, they will be okay. But if it's really bad art or just mm-hmm. average art, mm-hmm. it ain't going to really impress them very much. And no. they're just going to laugh about it and, mm-hmm. and put God in a corner mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and set him aside. Uh-huh. That happens all the time. And in, in my years in Christian music, anytime we tried to break into the mainstream and try to do something that was a crossover mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. it was disrespected by yes. the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. I am a much more of an advocate for someone who, who works with excellence. It doesn't matter the arena. It could mm-hmm. be sports. It could be, it could mm-hmm. be music. It could be anything, mm-hmm. literature. Mm-hmm. But they carry with them mm-hmm. the, the heart of God and, and such a strong um, sense of kingdom purpose yes. that they can walk into anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and be respected for mm-hmm. the quality and the mm-hmm. excellence that yes. they carry. When, when I would, I used to cross stitch and I cross stitched this verse. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, knowing that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a remard. And it should have been as a, as a reward, <laughs> but I accidentally cross stitched an M instead of a W. And so it said, as a remard. <laughs> and that's still, I still have that cross stitch and I laugh when I read about my remard. But, you know, I've had such a reward. And as I stand and I watch my children play, and they're not children anymore, and now we're working on grandchildren. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I hope that legacy goes out for a thousand generations mm-hmm. that my legacy will be that there are beautiful voices and beautiful instruments being excellently played because God deserves it. And that's what I pray. Well, I think we have said, this is great. This is so good. I so much appreciate your time. I forgot Thank we were you. on the podcast here. Thank you, Eric. I was just enthralled with the listening. <laughs> well, so, uh, Robin Wolliver, um, we can find all about the Annie Moses Foundation at mm-hmm. AnnieMosesFoundation.org. Uh-huh. Annie Moses AnnieMoses.org. Mm-hmm. AnnieMoses.org, yes. Yeah, AnnieMoses.org, AnnieMosesBand.com, mm-hmm. Annie Moses Summer Music Festival.com, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and... Uh, and, of course, your book, The Song of Annie Moses, dives much deeper into all of this. Yes, yes. For any parent out there that is looking for sort of a road map to navigate the world of the arts, our story does that. It took us to many cities and many places. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very good uh, start, a good read for that. Yeah. Um, and if parents are out there that have uh, children that are anywhere from age 6 years old up to 22 years old, Please check out 
the Annie Moses Summer Music Festival. Mm-hmm. Yes, this this July, beginning the fifth of July, and um, it is a wild ride. Yeah, we have some special guests that are soon to be announced. Yes, we cannot say them now because they're not confirmed, but that's mm-hmm. going to be exciting. Yes. So yes. All right, Robin Wooliver, thank you for joining me on the Courage Cast. I'm Eric Nordoff, and I'll be back again on another episode.